see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your host, Sean Riley. For the past four years, the Wall Street Journal has brought together a who's who of the biggest names in food for its global food forum. Purdue Chicken, Campbell's, McDonald's, Panera, Monsanto, Hershey, Mondelez are just some of the companies that have taken the forum stage. They get together and they explore key risks and opportunities shaping the global business of food. As the largest segment in packaging and processing, understanding new technology, consumer tastes, and government regulations in global food production is obviously a must. Today, we're going to talk with PMMI's Tom Egan and Glenn Long about what they feel were the biggest takeaways from the 2019 Global Food Forum and how these trends will impact packaging and processing. Welcome, Tom, and welcome, Glenn. Thanks, Sean, and uh, we're looking forward to sharing what we've had. Glenn and I have been at the forum now for about three years, and we find each year it becomes a little more interesting. Some of the sessions very specific to packaging and some of them a bit far, but uh, certainly within the whole of the food chain. I think we've tried real hard to do is, is pick out the things that are of interest to our members. Some of it has to do specifically with uh, farming and agriculture and things that are a little far afield for us, but definitely there are takeaways that are pertinent to, to all, all up and down our supply chain. Perfect. Well, then that, that leads me into the first question, you know, first kind of talking point, Glenn, what would you say, you know, was the most interesting takeaway from the presentations? Well, as I said, it, it really concentrates on the, the global business of food. And they, they concentrate a lot on feeding a growing population and the challenges that are going to be faced by agriculture and uh, the, the packaging and processing all, all up and down. But uh, certainly sustainability was a big part of that. Uh, how, how do you get the food to where it needs to be? How do you prevent spoilage? Uh, but but the real the real thing that I think was most interesting from a member perspective is the the absolute pace of change. The consumer you know wants what they want and they want it at a at a rapidly evolving rate that makes it incredibly difficult for all of the suppliers to react. One of the the statistics that was cited was that of sixty five categories in your average grocery store, sixty two of them the the category leader is losing market share. So there are all these innovations that are being put forth and all these these product innovations and packaging innovations, and it's incredibly difficult for for even the, the big CPGs in particular to react quickly enough to, to meet the consumer demand. Oof, sounds like a lot. Uh, Tom, same question. Yeah, I, I like uh, Glenn's uh, riff on that piece where there's a, a big uh, push on sustainability. At the same time, I am looking and saying, I, I think the wide variety of issues that were covered was somewhat striking to me uh, and that no one issue is in a vacuum. That, that is that uh, to solve uh, discussions 
that uh, some of the presenters did about water is not uh, completely separated from what it is that you're going to do to provide food for a growing global population. Uh, so I, I just saw that the that whole idea that the issues and the potential solutions are are linked, if you will. And we had uh, presentations about plant-based protein and vertical farming, which I thought was pretty fascinating. The, the vertical farming that was separate from the plant-based protein uh, talked about the, the use of what was many decades now has been talked about as hydroponics, but beginning to do it on a, a commercial scale. And as you begin to do that, you even realize that some of the product that's produced may not be exactly the same uh, shape and color, for example, as what consumers are expecting. So there's that that small change. There was also a comment about the, and, and Glenn's point about the, the rapid change, is the diversity of the consumer base. It's not just the diversity that we hear among uh, whether you're looking for a healthy snack or an indulgent snack, whether you're looking for an alternative to meat, or whether you're looking at a completely new diet approach, it's, it's both geographical and age-based. The, the approaches that individuals are taking in uh, different generations from the boomers who are moving into uh, to, uh, later years of both their employment and now going into uh, retirement or into second careers, uh, what the uh, millennials are looking at is a different approach to the way that they eat. It's a different approach to what they're seeking in the marketplace. So then that's, that's also interesting because it's going to shift as the millennials become the larger group. It's going to sway which becomes the biggest item that people are looking to eat. I want to kind of stick with the that Glenn was discussing and Tom, you touched on as well. So I I'll, guess I'll direct this back to Glenn. Um, and this is in regards to something I know was discussed um, by one of the, the big food companies in regards to snacking, where people say, you know, they want healthy and organic and all these good for you options. But basically, at the end of the day, that only represents, I think, 20% of the snack market. You know, that little 20%, I guess, moves a lot. But I guess figuring out specifically what consumers want that is healthy for that little area is kind of a moving target. So how can packaged food companies keep up with all of this change and with you know, consumers saying they want one thing, but they really are still sticking to chocolate and things like that when it comes to snacks. But that's definitely a good point. And, and surely that was talked about specifically. And it, uh, snacking is a growing trend. And, you know, they're, they're saying that the younger generations are eating on average seven times a day. So their, their trends are more towards smaller uh, portions, uh, more snacking, and it's it's a life, lifestyle choice. Uh, they're on the go. They're not sitting down to traditional meals as, as earlier generations might have done. So it, it definitely is agile innovation. That was a phrase that was used. But, but the thing that people don't understand is the burden all up and down the supply chain. Um, not only are they looking for smaller portion sizes, they're looking for healthy options. And, and it's funny, you, you noted, they, they say one thing and do another. I mean, they'll buy candy bars. They're, they're still eating the things that, that aren't healthy and that aren't good for them. But the growing cat or a growing category is the healthy, uh, the healthy option. So I think you're going to see more of that. But those those types of products require certain types of packaging that might be different. And I that's that's the problem is that pace of change burdens everything from the material supplier to the, the machinery supplier. Uh, one that was specifically noted is the ingredient supply. It's difficult uh, to, to come up with things that have the right texture and the right taste. I mean, people want to eat healthy, but some of that stuff doesn't, you know, doesn't taste as good as a candy bar. 
So all up and down the supply chain are challenges in order to be able to react quickly enough and produce the product in the style and type of package that the consumer wants to have. And Sean, I even uh, noted one thing uh, building on, on Glenn's point there, which is uh, that texture idea. When you, they, you look for a replacement for uh, food to, can, to make it perhaps more healthy, you still need the same texture component in the food so that the individual, the consumer that's uh, using it uh, can understand that or can accept that it's a similar product. I hadn't thought about that. So you say, okay, we're going to replace uh, ingredient X with ingredient Y. In addition to the supply chain issues, you need to take a look at what that might mean to the, not just the taste, but also the texture of the product uh, you're offering to the consumer. Very interesting. And we'll, we'll probably get back on the consumer saying what they want is not necessarily what they actually buy. But I just want to pivot for a second, Tom, to um, one thing that, that was covered at the, um, the forum that I know has been an issue that I'm curious about. Um, agricultural companies, farmers have struggled recently to know which crops, because again, consumer whims are changing all the time and they're not sure what crops are going to be the ones that the consumer is going to want when they go to the grocery store. And with something like crops, you know, it's it's not something you can determine week to week. It's something you really need to plan out. I understand one of the sessions, they got into how automation and big data was going to be a key, I guess, to trying to solve this puzzle. Could you speak to that? Yeah, it was a, a really good uh, presentation. Uh, Deer and Company were one of the panelists, and they spoke about what they're doing with their big data collection in agriculture. Uh, they used an example of a combine, and I don't remember the exact number, but it's hundreds of sensors that are on the combine. And then also began talking about uh, the use of the data and how fine the data aggregation can be. And at one point, uh, holding their hands together indicated that in some cases you can get that data down to almost a one foot by one foot uh, area, if I remember the the example. It was a pretty impressive display realizing that you're talking about thousands of acres. You're looking at uh, contours where there could be a slope to the area that's been planted. I was thinking about that and had a chance to, to talk briefly about what that might mean uh, uh, or what is similar to that for what we have with the big data acquisition that our members are doing and working with the CPGs and found, interestingly enough, that some of the same issues apply. One is that the amount of data that you can collect is enormous and it's less about the data collection and more about the data analytics. The other is that the companies are uh, still addressing who controls that data. That is, if you're using the data to help the machine that's out in the field do a better job of harvesting or of planting or of monitoring. Uh, the presentation mentioned that with the monitoring, for example, a herbicide use could be down almost 80 percent. So think about that in packaging where we might call about utility usage, not herbicide, but uh, water or whether it be electricity or air. So with that data collection, you're able to do the analytics and say, we can reduce the use here, here, and here. That's a direct applicability, even as we understand they are from two diverse areas. Uh, the last piece was the possibility of not just aggregating that data to make uh, the better use of a machine or to make a better machine on the part of the supplier, uh, but the last element was uh, what would be the possibilities of perhaps using that data to do some forecasting or to do some information with regard to 
the best crop rotation, finding out that field benefits from a different crop rotation. Similarly, in packaging, when we uh, have our members and the CPGs aggregating the data, is there information that can be gleaned from that relative to the changeover from product to product and how uh, effective that can be if we do a sequencing that is this product, then this product, then this product. Not specifically addressed at the conference, just a direct applicability to PMMI members and their solutions that they offer. Sean, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the, the politics in this. I mean, the, the burden on the farmer is incredible from, uh, you know, tariffs and shifting because of, of, of global politics. But there was also a dairy from Wisconsin that specifically noted how difficult it is on the environment when you have a very large dairy farm the, the impact on the environment, the runoff, the groundwater contamination from a big farm. Um, and when you do it on such a large scale, because of the need to feed such a large population, there are environmental impacts. So you're back to the sustainability thing again. And one of the places where I close the loop is, you know, packaging in, in a lot of cases is the bad, the bad guy. I think one of the things that's not picked up on enough, especially in the forum, is the need to have the right kind of packaging to be able to distribute the, the food products to such a large population and to prevent spoilage and in, increase the shelf life. Uh, the statistics on the amount of food wasted are just incredible. And I, I don't have them in front of me, but they, they cited how much crop is left in the field because they can't accurately predict the, the demand. So a lot of it is never even harvested because they, they don't have need for it. And there's theory it's better to have a little too much than not enough. So a lot of the product is never harvested or used to begin with. But even more, a huge amount is lost in the distribution because of spoilage, uh, either at, through the distribution channel or at the point of the consumer. I mean, how much, how much food do you throw away from your refrigerator because you didn't eat it all or because it went bad before you got a chance to use it? So I think packaging has an opportunity to play a critical role in that. And it's something that is, is talked about the development of different materials, the develop, development of active and intelligent packaging. So all of these things are aimed at trying to reduce that food waste. Uh, so it needs to be looked at as a, as a benefit. And, and not always as the, the byproduct or a bad byproduct of the process. Yeah, packaging is the, the critical role that packaging plays. I think over the past three years that we've attended has uh, become a little bit more prevalent. Uh, it's, it's being mentioned on a more regular basis. Uh, not that there was a specific session about uh, packaging and what it does, but that it's been referenced uh, not only to promote the product, but also to uh, provide the product. And even on uh, going back to my initial statement about what I found interesting about the wide diversity of issues, uh, one of the uh, FDA uh, participants mentioned that they are working on an approach right now where we it, the words best if used by could be applied only for quality issues to food. So you know there's been discussion in, in packaging circles and among CPGs about what those different words mean because they are confusing to the consumer. What we've seen here is that there's an approach to say best if used by is for quality issues only, meaning that the, the product could no longer be uh, uh, used by the consumer well. So I think that's kind of that interesting little additional element that uh, goes to that diversity of items that were discussed and how they come back and play within the whole of the supply chain. 
And that kind of, I guess, ties back to, we always hear about the collaboration issue with um, food producers or CPGs and OEMs. And I guess this, it seems like you've seen maybe a little bit over the four years where there's they're starting to recognize the importance of collaborating earlier or more with the packaging part of it so that to ensure that, you know, A, there's not as much waste, B, things like you said with the sell-by date and stuff like that. Is that something, is that fair to say? Or is this just kind of like a one offshoot thing that you know? I think that's always been an issue is is the, the point in the timeline at which different parts of the supply chain are brought in. But I think you're seeing a more collaborative effort. Again, it has to do with the pace of innovation and, and what's being required of the product. So uh, both the, the actual product itself and the package that it goes in. I mean, I, I think the industry's changed over the last, you know, five, 10 years and, and the days of these massive lines that were built to last forever, that were going to run the same product in, in maybe a couple sizes, but run it 24-7, you know, it, it's just not like that anymore. They need to be flexible because you never know what the next thing is going to be. So uh, the, the consumer is driving this demand, and I think that's made its way all up and down the supply chain. I think there's also the recognition that the uh, supply chain which we, I think we were talking about and we've touched on now a couple of times here, is more complex than ever. And there are challenges with either trying to shorten it or to adjust it, uh, to, to modify it. It's not that it can't be done. It's that the supply chain is complex. You're starting all the way with ingredients and you're ending up either in the, their home or on their doorstep if you start talking about e-commerce. And in all cases, that whole of the supply chain just becomes more complex. And yet, as Glenn has noted, we need to be more flexible and adaptable. I think one piece that I took away from that supply chain is just the recognition that making changes that you might see take time. And so there can be a start to a change, uh, even as it relates to commitments that different organizations make, but that uh, the, the change takes time. There was the talk about moving to um, the uh, supply of, uh, I think it was cage-free eggs. And the uh, panelists uh, pointed out that, the, that in order to fulfill that commitment was going to take a couple of years. And you look at it and say, wow, cage-free eggs, a couple of years. And then you begin to realize just how many billions upon billions of eggs that that represents. And that further up the supply chain, the uh, the uh, group that's providing the eggs has to change their practices. And so the adjustments have to be made. I thought it was fascinating about the complexity of the supply chain. Our members are involved in it all the way toward the end. They realize that there are more complex items coming uh, from upstream also. I guess kind of my last point uh, that I'd, I'd like to touch on um, that we, again, we've, we've hit it a couple of times, but I'm curious. There was, there was coverage actually after it, um, the forum in the in the Wall Street Journal about a, we'll just call it one of these largest fast food companies in the world, and they were basically um, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, where, for example, they changed you know French fries in the kids' meal to apples because everybody wants to be healthier and you want your kids to be healthier, and and they found that you know people weren't eating the apples and they wanted the French fries to begin with. So they kind of laid out some ways that they're going to, or how they they're going to adapt, or how they've adapted. And I'm wondering, Glenn and Tom, I don't know if you can add anything either. Um, 
if if there's things that that our industry packaging and processing can take from what this you know large food you know fast food company is doing um, and apply it to you know maybe our industries. Yeah, I, I think the element again is that uh, idea that as the the PMMI members and their uh, CPG uh, customers start looking at what they have to do to change either the product that they are supplying or the understanding that they're going to try something in the marketplace and it may or may not work. The members want to be on top of and absolutely keeping abreast of what's happening in the consumer marketplace. Ultimately, what the CPGs are supplying, the consumer packaged goods companies are supplying to us as consumers is what we are showing that we want based upon the purchases that we make. So they, the CPGs or in the case of a, a retailer, they try an idea. They say, hey, we thought that would work well. Maybe it works in a very small region and they have to be quick to try and scale up or say, hey, that was a nice try in one area. It didn't work out. We made a big investment. We have to try something else. So it's just that understanding that uh, the retailers and the CPGs are making that uh, ad adaption to a, a quicker change, a, a quicker uh, modification to say, we tried this, it didn't work. Now we want to see and we need the, the supply chain, including the PMMI members, to be able to adapt in terms of perhaps uh, making more modular equipment. Sean, I think that's one of the reasons that you see the contract packaging industry growing at double digits. Um, that It's that pace of change again. And how do you react and put something out for the consumer, get it tested, see if it's going to take off and then be able to scale up to meet that demand. That makes it, that wasn't even something that I was thinking of, but that makes complete sense that the contract packages could absolutely fill that need um, that, you know, that requires bringing in new equipment and, and being able to shift on the fly like that. Um, well, well, this has been fantastic. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Tom and Glenn for taking time, like I said, out of your day to, uh, to give us a wrap on the forum that you attended. And be sure to join us next time for more packaging and processing industry insights. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.